Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. The session will start in one minute. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be conducting the call today. Leo, can you start our first question? Sure. Ashish? Hello? Yeah. Can uh, you hear me? Uh, I have a question on... Uh, so I recently had an interview. Uh, can I speak now? Is it on? I can hear you. Go ahead. Yeah. So I recently had an interview uh, with my wife as a dependent. Uh, we answered all the questions. Everything was fine. Um, uh, her medical was also fine. My medical had a discrepancy. So they, um, he, the officer told, uh, gave an RFE on, this, on that spot and with the local field office in Houston address. So we submitted uh, back in three or four days. It's with them, the, the new medical. So how do we keep track of the progress at a local field office? Um, basically, you only still have the online UCIS.gov case status, and they may not update it as much at the field office. Um, I would expect if you just submitted the medical a few days ago, um, what I've mostly seen in the past is within a couple of weeks, there's an update, but I know the Houston field office is more backlogged recently. I would give it at least a month or so before um, you try following up with the 1-800 customer service line, um, but you can also keep checking the case status. If they are, um, if they're fine with the exam and are ready to approve it, then it will usually show up there first on the USCIS.gov case status. Okay. And uh, my attorney, I guess he, he would probably go there regularly with other people. So can he go and check with the officer? I doubt they will give them any information. Um, based on my knowledge of how the Houston field office operates, they're pretty strict about attorneys, anyone only being there for the specific matter that they are scheduled for. They usually won't answer questions about other cases at that time. Okay, okay. next question. Parta. Hello. Hi, go ahead. Can you guys hear me? Yes, Hi, can you guys hear me? Yes, go ahead. All right, so I have two questions, one with follow-up. So my parents' uh, green card uh, consulate uh, interview is on December 23rd. Um, They were approved in 2019, just due to COVID, it took them so long. The police um, verification uh, from India, which we had submitted, was from October 2nd, 2019, um, which obviously is expired now. Uh, But if we go through the process of obtaining a new one, it takes a lot of months. So do we require a new one? Did the consulate ask them to provide a new one? 
uh, we didn't know. Like we we were sent like a documents from our attorney, mm -hmm. which said take the latest uh, uh, police verification, and the one which we have is from 2019. Yeah, my understanding is that the most recent one that you have should be fine, um, because, like you said, the only reason that it's been delayed this long is because of COVID. But um, okay. I don't know for sure if the consulates are what their procedures are right now actually with family-based cases at the consulate we don't um our office doesn't really specialize in family-based consulate cases so we don't know um i personally don't know the um procedures that the indian consulates are following right now as far as the police reports during covid um my sure. understanding though is that if they do want a more recent one they would have asked them to okay. um, obtain it beforehand and bring it so they must have sent an RFP or something on those lines. Saying they usually would have sent a document request or instructions to bring it to the interview. So my guess Got is it. that most likely it's not needed. Okay. And second, um, I was laid out last month, uh, right? Um, and then the interview came. I have an offer letter for a startup, uh, which is in January. So I have this one month in between. Is that okay? Um, you can provide what you have most recently as your income. Just to be safe, if you want, you can let your attorney know and see if they want you to prepare a co-sponsor affidavit just in case, like a relative of yours whose income can be used um, to support the application if needed. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, uh, no, uh, do I need to? Sorry, we'll have to uh, go on to someone else. Sure. Shailish. Hi. Thank you for answering our phone calls. My question is, I'm EB3 India, and my priority date is 2-21-14. Last year, in 2020, November, we applied for everything like 485 and AP and everything. And my son is close to 21 years. So is his age is locked in based on the filing date, or it has to be action date? So the child's age is only locked in if the I-485 for him is filed in the month where your priority date is current according to the final action dates chart, chart A. If it retrogresses after that, that's okay. But as long as when it was filed initially, it was current according to chart A, then it does lock in his age. Um, okay. You said it was your EB3 2014? Yeah, the action date was never active. It was only the filing chart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So unfortunately, there are a lot of teenagers in the same situation. Um, at this time, I would say it's not locked in. Um, how close is he to 21? Means he is a 2002 born, so he's like a 20 years now. Okay. I would, if you haven't already, I would definitely have him start preparing backup options, which for the most part, for most children is a change of status application from H4 to F1. Um, if he hasn't started that yet, I would go ahead and start that right away. Okay, thank you. And I have one quick question. Uh, since we apply in 2020, I created the online ticket for longer than the normal processing time. They emailed and replied me that it will take three months to do investigation and reply back. Does it look like it's a normal? Yeah, that does not surprise me, especially if your case is at the Texas Service Center. That's um, right. 
Yeah, um, I'm actually a little surprised that they even replied to you saying that they'll look into it. Um, things are pending at the Texas Service Center for a very long time. Um, they're based on recent data that we received, cases just are not moving or not moving very quickly at all at the Texas Service Center. So I would expect it to take several more months at least, unless they change something. Okay, okay. next. Thank question. you very much. Purva? Yeah, hi, thank you. Uh, I have a little weird case. Uh, my petition for H-1B was filed in 2019, which got approved. But later due to COVID, I couldn't travel to US. And now the employer is saying since it is valid till August 22. So I, I guess he doesn't have much time and earnings from me. So he's not uh, allowing me to go for the stamping. So what things I could do in this case first and whether my petition, uh, petition is still valid uh, and I can do anything with that is the other question. Yeah. Um... Unfortunately, in order to be considered counted in the H-1B cap, you have to either get the visa stamp from the application that was selected in the lottery, or you have to have been in the U.S. and have your status changed at least for one day to H-1B in order to be counted in the cap. It sounds like in this case, neither of those have happened yet. If your employer is willing, I know they said right now that they don't want to, but if they don't withdraw the H-1B application um, and they keep it approved, then technically any time before August, they can you can still go for visa stamping based on that approval um, if they're willing to support it. Um, if the company really is not willing to support it, unfortunately, there aren't many other options. You can't really have another company file another application for you unless it goes through the lottery again. Um, so you would basically need to go through the lottery again. Okay, um, next question. Basant? Uh, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, hey Rebecca. So I applied for my uh, H1 and H4 on November and uh, uh, together and uh, H4 EAD a week after because my employer want, uh, my attorney was not uh, uh, willing to file everything together. So okay. I filed H4 EAD a week after I got the receipt notice of the H1. And my H4 and H1 and H4 got approved in uh, three weeks in normal processing. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, my H4 is st still pending. H4 EAD is still pending. Just the I-765 is still pending, but the I-539 yeah. is approved? Yes, I-539 and H-1 was approved in three weeks uh, uh, right. for three years. So, uh, but uh, EAD is still pending. Okay. And uh, the thing is, my question is like, uh, I can use the H-4 extension with that I-94 for the six month uh, thing, right? Like for from yeah. March, my mine is expiring in March uh, 5, 2022. So my wife's is expiring, it's 48 is expiring in March of 2022. So I can use that I-94 to yes. keep it for six months, right? I, do That's I need fair. to send just, I need to do any kind of uh, notification or uh, what, how? No, so it, the H-4 is your wife's work yes. permit? Or your work permit, okay. Um, yeah, so if her H-4 uh, has been extended to 2025 already, then, um, 
if her I-765 that's pending now, if it is still pending in March, then she can't, the auto extension policy does apply to her. She can continue working beyond March using the expired EAD, her I-539 approval notice, and the I-765 receipt notice. So those three would, together would be proof of her work authorization that she doesn't need to provide them to USCIS, just to her employer is mm -hmm. proof of her continued work authorization for 180 days beyond March. Um, hopefully the EAD will be approved before September um, so that she gets yeah. the new okay. starting. Yeah. I have one there. question on that actually. She, she has plans to go to India in Feb and uh, come back by March. So okay. ma after March 5th, so which, so before that itself, she can send the I-94 or after coming back, she has to give the new I-94 to the employer. Um, I would say just uh, at the time her EAD expires, she has to give the I-94 to her employer. So but if, if she's not in country at that time, like she's out of country on yeah, March 5th. She comes back. Mm -hmm. uh, she comes back. So that, that won't be an issue, right? If she's coming on March 15th and... Uh, yeah. So at that point, the I-94 she needs to provide to the employer will be the one she prints off of the CBP website because that will be the most recent one. Okay, so, so there is no issue if she comes on March 15th, March 5th through March 15th without like uh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, next question. Shri Devi. Uh, hi, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, so me and my husband are currently in the US with L visas. My husband is on an L1 visa. His uh, 129S is approved uh, until 2024. Uh, so uh, both our visas and my EAD will be expiring in March 2022. So for this situation, is there a way I can go to the border control nearest border control protection and get an I-94 uh, renewed until 2024? So you have the L2 visa stamp in your passport? I do have, but uh, it's not yet uh, uh, no, um, until it's until March 2022. Okay, but your husband's L1 is valid right now, you said until 2024? Okay. Yes. Um, yes, then you can uh, just go to Mexico or Canada and come back um, before March 2022. So you have to come back while your visa stamp is still valid. But if you come back with the valid L2 visa stamp, your husband's L1 approval notice and like your marriage certificate, you will get the I-94 for L2 valid until 2024, matching his end date. And most likely by then, uh, DHS will have updated their processes to include the L2 spouse notice uh, notation on the I-94. So that would allow you to work um, without an EAD. So once I come back, uh, should I apply for the I-539 I uh, for the new L2 renewal? No. So if you have come back, uh, once you come back for anyone, anytime you enter the U.S., we recommend that you check the I-94 website, the CBP's I-94 website, make sure that it's correct. But if it does show on the website that your I-94 is valid until 2024, you don't need to file an I-539. Because that oh, so even late. though my L2 visa stamp is uh, only until March 2022. Yeah, so the visa stamp only governs your ability to apply for entry into the country if you're outside the country. What governs your status 
while you're in the U.S. is your I-94. Okay. So once I go out of the country, I need to attend an interview per se and then come back. Not if you come back before March 2022 while you're L2. Yeah, but after that. Yes, if you travel after that, you will need to get a renewed L2 visa at okay. a conference. Okay. Next question. Next question. Sanjay. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I recently attended the Lincoln interview along with my family and I got the help for review and the uh, interviewer said that there is one, one document which is pending for review from the third party. You'll be, you'll be getting an answer in two to three weeks, but it's been around more than five weeks. I didn't get the answer. My worry is uh, my older, uh, we, we, we got the EADs for two years extension for me, my wife and my son. My wife is under H4 EAD right now and my son is on H4 and he's going to be 21 on January 22nd, 20, yeah. in one in two months. And his date is locked because he got the yeah. EAD and he's good with it. But only thing is, uh, um, I don't know what exactly he's going to, uh, how do I plan, whether I need to plan for a change of status or I need to wait mm -hmm. until I get, uh, because it's already held for review and what I'm thinking is, is there a way that I should go for a H1B extension instead of using EAD? And then my wife, they said that we, they, she can use EAD if, even if she doesn't, uh, doesn't have an H4 because uh, that's a pity, that's a dependent. So dependent can use EADs. But only thing is, if the dependent use GCEAD, if something exactly. happens to my green card, yeah. can I refile my green card because only dependent is using and if I don't want to use my H1? Yeah, you're kind of at the last stages though at this point. I would assume that, did they mention what additional document they were checking for? Uh, they didn't mention during the interview, they asked me uh, what all the clients uh, I work for uh, have given her. I was just stuttering that out uh, because there are six clients, so I was not clear, but later on I have written everything and I have given, she noted those client names and then the locations and uh, the uh, time timelines. And then after that, uh, she said that there is a document pending, not from us, from the third party, which okay. need to be reviewed. Okay. And it is not anything pending from the uh, family side, it's from your side. So okay. my family has been interviewed separately and they mentioned that this is not, that we are stopping yours because your husband has a pending review. It, there is nothing pending from my wife and my son. They clarity, okay. clarify that. When does your H1B expire? Uh, February 1st, 2022. Okay. And my son's uh, uh, 21 will be on January 22nd, 2022. Yeah, so he won't be able to get an H4 extension anyway. Um, yeah. The locking in of the age is only for the I-45 purposes. It doesn't allow being an H-4 beyond 21. Yeah. So um, I, if the main reason for staying in H status was to allow your son to remain on H-4 as long as he could, um, you probably don't really need to extend the H-1B then beyond February. I would say if it comes to February and your I-485 is still pending. There's just still no decision. All of you are still in a period of authorized stay based on the pending I-485. Yes. Your son will no longer be in H-4 status, but he'll be in authorized stay based on the pending I-485. 
same for you and your wife, even if you let the H1 and H4 expire after February, if there's still no decision, you're just in the pending I-45 stage at that point. Um, hopefully it doesn't take that long and that you do just hear something, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I would say the only reason to maybe extend the H4 and maybe your wife's H4 is in the event that your I-485 is denied for some reason, which most likely it's not, not many employment-based I-485s are denied unless there is something kind of serious in your immigration or criminal history. Um, but you know, if it is denied, then you and your wife would still be in status based on the age. There isn't really anything to, as, as a backup for your son, um, if your I-485 is denied, his I-485 would be denied and he would be out of status. The only thing that would be a backup for him is if he applies now for a change of status from H-4 to F-1. So, so if, if we apply for H-1, what I was thinking is like, uh, uh, we can wait until the decision has been made. If the decision has been made, then if I continue on my H-1, my wife will have a backup of H-4. And if something goes bad after six months, let's say, then he can go to India and stamp uh, directly take a yeah, we usually don't recommend doing the F-1 visa stamp in India for kids who mostly grew up here. It could be difficult for them to get the F-1 stamp from a consulate. They have no ties to India. Um, I would say if you don't hear something by the end of this month and just to prepare as a backup in the event the I-45 is denied, you could file the H-1B and H-4 extension for you and your wife and have your son file a change of status. Just submit the I-539. It won't get approved definitely by the time his H-4 expires, but it will just at least be filed and be there as a backup so that he doesn't have to leave the country in case it's denied. You have to file those backups before a denial decision because once the denial comes in, all of you would be out of status if you're not in H or F status. Okay, um, sorry, we'll have to go on to the next question. So thank you very much. Sure. Richa? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Rebecca. So I'm currently on a pending recapture H1 extension, which is expiring on uh, 6th December. My I-140 was upgraded to premium this Monday, which is still pending. And uh, at least three attorneys from uh, Reddy Newman have recommended that I that we still file for discretionary H-1 extension, even yeah. with the pending uh, I-140, which I really, really like. But I, my attorney is going to push to much, move to an H-4, wait, and then join my employer back. I want to understand that I, if I do uh, move to an H-4, uh, how does the change of status from H-4 to H-1 go back? Do I need to leave the country? Most likely, yeah. Um, yeah, the reason is it's not very quick being able to change from H-1B to H-4 um, because that is the I-539 application. There's no premium processing for that. And if you're in a pending I-539 status, even if your I-140 is approved by that point, um, in order to change back to H-1B, they may not even process the H-1B, even if it's in premium processing, until there's a decision on the H-4. Absolutely. So, um, in that situation, one of the faster ways to fix that situation is to leave the country, get an H-1B visa stamp, or if you already have, do you happen to have a valid h one No, most likely it's expired it's then. Yeah, it's expired. 
um, yeah, you would need to get an H-1B visa stamp and come back in, which could be fast, used to be faster than waiting for the I-539 and then changing back to H-1B. But right now, because of the consulate backlogs, it's right. not clear how much longer that will take. Um, yeah, so I would say because of the just difficulty in timing of changing to H-4 and back to H-1B, that's usually why we recommend the interim H-1B because when you're just filing H-1Bs, there's always premium processing at least, right. um, that option. By interim, you mean the, the first option of going through the discretionary, even with a pending I-4? Yeah, right? just filing an extension, requesting a relatively short amount of time because it's just whatever time you've spent outside the U.S. that you're kind of grouping together. And so it may only amount to a month or two months, and then your employer would need to file another extension for the actual whole three years once the I-140 is approved. Um, but it does depend on your employer's cooperation. And because the H-1B is only, um, can only be paid for by the company, you can offer to pay for premium processing, but the main H-1B fees are only handled by the company. And so that may be why they don't want to do the interim filing because it is more fees for them. If you do moving to H-4 and then back H-1B, they can require you to handle the H-4 fees and then only pay for one H-1B extension instead of two. So, yeah. My last question, uh, Rebecca, is that does it induce significant risk in my application to be denied, um, even with the RFP, or you think it's all right to do that? It depends. Uh, well, for the H-1B extension, if it's based on time that you're recapturing from outside the U.S., there's really no risk of denial. Mm -hmm. uh, the I-140 on its own, it, you know, the risk of denial on that will depend on the RFE and kind of what they're asking about there. Right. I meant, uh, I meant the, the, the next extension that, that would be discretionary pending no. I-140. Like I said, if it's, oh, um, if it's, if you're only asked, if you're asking USCIS to extend based on a pending I-140, that is less guaranteed to be approved. If you're asking for an extension just based on recapture time, as long as you have your travel records and it's calculated out, there's no risk of denial. If you're asking USCIS to extend just based on a pending I-140, um, there's some, it's not guaranteed they'll grant you the whole three years, but you can include an alternate in there, include your travel history and just, you know, if they send an RFE saying the I-140 is still pending, we can't give you the whole three years, then in the alternate, ask just for the two months or whatever you can get from the recapture. Got it, got it. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, next question. Mehal yeah. Kumar. Yeah. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, Hi. Rebecca, uh, my friend, he's on H4B and he has a valid visa till 2022. His green card got approved last Thursday, but due to some emergency, he has to travel to India. But uh, he never received his green card till now. Like So maybe like this week or next week, he will receive in the email. So can okay. he come back on a valid H4B visa because his green card is approved in the like right. uh, post? Like, Yeah, if he's already departed the U.S., um, his H4 visa is no longer valid if his green card is approved. Okay. In that situation, um, what he can try doing is uh, if someone can collect the green card from the mail for him and ship it to him overseas. Um, that's one option. Then he can just enter with the actual 
um, permanent resident card. If it feels a bit too risky to do that, shipping the actual card overseas, if you know he's worried about delivery overseas. Um, another option is he should also receive an I-485 approval notice um, mm -hmm. in the mail. Uh, and um, if that can be shipped to him, I would say probably still best if that original document is shipped to him, but it's less of a risk of, um, if you lose that I-485 approval notice, it's not as big a deal as losing the actual permanent resident card. That can be shipped to him and then he can carry that in. Can Even if somebody basically take the card to him in India and hand it over? That's fine too. Yeah, if they can securely um, so get it. At the port of entry, there will be a no ask, right? Regarding like why you left without green card. They or might something. ask, but he can just explain that there was an emergency. Okay. He left and um, it was provided to him while he was there. Okay, Actually. thank you. Thank you so much. Next question. Ankuri. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for taking my question. So my question is, I'm working on J2 EAD. So my employer is filing for H1B as my lottery has been picked up. So he's they are filing through consulate processing. So do I need a waiver, J1 waiver, J waiver for during this course of H1B visa? Um, you said you're in J2? Yeah, J2 EAD. Okay. I am not quite sure on that, actually. Um, of course, if you're in J1, you need a waiver before you can switch to H1B. Yeah, my husband is on J1. Mm -hmm. But they told me, like my company told me, you don't need waiver, but just you have to go and stamp from yeah. home country. Yeah. So just want to. Yeah, because only the J1 has that residency requirement. I don't think it applies to dependents. So you should be able to, yeah, apply for the H1B visa stamp without getting a, a waiver. Okay, got you. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Next question. Madhav. Madhav. Mother, we are unable to hear you. Punit Gupta? Uh, hi, Rebecca. I have a question. Uh, are you able to hear me? Yes, go ahead. So, uh, if you mention uh, uh, in your LCA as a part-time concurrent filing uh, and mention a range of hours, uh, in your I-129 petition. Uh, so will you be able to work full-time in that case or will that be an issue? Sorry, so the LCA was filed as concurrent filing part-time? Yes. And the I-129 included like the hours? Like a range of hours, like around 30 to 40 hours? Yeah. Oh, if it included a range and if the application was approved, you can work any you know, hours within that range that was listed on the I-129 form. Um, I can take one more so, question. So uh, even if you put a range and a part-time, you can work 40 hours, like uh, there's if it no is issue. Approved, if it is listed on the I-129 form and it's approved, then you can work any number of hours within that range. Okay, and that is not an issue, even if we uh, in uh, LCA it is mentioned as a part-time. 
That is not an issue. As long as the I-129 listed the range. Okay. And uh, uh, one more question, like uh, uh, if the concurrent processing uh, uh, in case get uh, rejected, uh, then uh, it doesn't affect your uh, original petition, right? No, it doesn't. So you do not have to worry about it. Is And you can start working on uh, on the receipt notice as well, right? For the concurrent filing? Yes. Okay. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, I'll take one more question, Gayatri. Madhav? Yeah. Hi, Rebecca. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Rebecca. Um, actually, last October, I have applied for EB2 to EB3 downgrade with my previous employer. I'm currently with, uh, working with employer B. So employer A applied my downgrade and my priority date is 2012 April. So dates went back. Now my date is current in EB2. Mm -hmm. uh, when I approach my employer, they're strongly saying not to do the interfile. I don't know what the reason. She's saying, what if the date comes again uh, current for EB3 in next one month or two months. Do you want to keep doing that? Uh, so that would even delay. So I don't know how far it is uh, true. Right. What so do you suggest? Um, have you said you've already changed employers like after no. 100 days? No, I have not joined. My, this employer who applied my downgrade was my previous employer. So I left them. I worked with them for four years in 2012 to like 16 something. Um, they filed the downgrade for you, even though you Yeah, were. I approached while I'm okay. working with employer B, I approached them if they can do, they did it, even though I was not with them. Okay. So yeah, my own uh, party also approved. Okay. Uh, yeah, so if you have an EB2, I want, it's up to you. You can technically interfile. Um, there are pros and cons with both. The main options, if you want to move from EB3 to EB2, are either interfiling or filing a new set of I-485s in the EB2 category. There are pros and cons with both. And one of the cons with interfiling is that it's very uncertain. You don't know when USCIS or if USCIS has actually done the interfile and actually moved you to EB2. Because even if they did successfully move you to EB2, it could still be pending for several months after that. Um, and they're correct. One of the downsides is that if, you know, next fiscal year, October, 2022, it's reversed and EB3 starts moving forward. Um, it's very difficult to, after you've interfiled to move back again. Okay. Um, so that is a concern, but, you know, if it, if you're aware of that and still want to go ahead with the interfiling, you definitely can. Um, and technically you don't, really need the employer's cooperation or signature for an interfile request. If you have a copy of the I-140 EB-2 approval notice, you can send it in because the I-485 is in your name. As long as they haven't withdrawn the I-140 in EB-2, um, you should be able to send it in with a letter from you requesting the interfile. Um, I can do myself or do I need to contact some lawyer? Um, Technically, you can do it yourself since it's not a form. It's just a letter. Um, and we usually attach the EB2 I-140 approval notice, a copy of the I, your I-485 receipt notice. Um, it doesn't hurt to include a copy of the I-140 EB3 um, notice also. Just, and in the letter, you would you okay. know, state that. Yeah, got um, it. And yeah, thanks. Uh, my situation is now, uh, I'm not, I have not joined them. Uh, so when do you think uh, the right time to join them? 
Um, um, technically, as long as the job offer is there up until the I-485 is approved, um, there isn't really a clear rule on when you need to join the employer. The only requirement is that the intention on the employer side and your side always needs to be there. Okay, even um, if I don't uh, join also, like, you know, if I get some other better offer, then I can continue with other employers, right? I don't have to go back and join. Although all. at the I-485, um, kind of the final stage, if they are ready to approve it and if they call you in for an interview, um, if you're not with the I-140 petitioning company, they need to be willing to provide a letter for you confirming that there's still the job offer with their company for you. So mm -hmm. there always needs to be at least that Okay. Yeah, thank you. And last question. Uh, my situation is my current employer is pushing me to uh, submit my uh, green card uh, process again, uh, starting with my um, the yeah. labor permanent. So do you think I need to apply with them or should I tell them that, okay, I already have this one. I'm at this situation. I'm expecting my EAD anytime. It's what is your... Um, it doesn't hurt you um, really to have a second perm started with your current company, I would say it's probably not necessary um, since you are pretty close to the end, you know, your priority date is current um, in EB2 at least. So if you do interfile or file a new set of I-485s, um, it could, you know, be approved hopefully. Okay. So no need to apply, right? No need to apply. For I would say it's not really necessary, although okay. um, it also wouldn't damage your current green card process if you do. Or do you suggest me to transfer 485J with the current employer? Um, Which one is safe? I, if you are thinking of moving to EB2, eventually um, we would recommend not using the J supplement because okay. different attorneys have different opinions on this matter of whether or when you can use AC21 if you're, if you're trying to move categories or if you've used AC21, if you can move categories by interfile or a new I-485. Um, our opinion is that it's safest not to use AC21 if you're considering moving to a different category. Oh, okay. So my okay. the question I'm asking this is because they are anyway not doing interfile. So if they're not doing interfile, which means uh, basically there is no use of doing this downgrade with uh, a new application now instead of amending, right? Initial file like EB2 to EB3. The whole intention of doing that uh, new file as a downgrade is uh, to have this capability to switch between both, right? So if they're not doing it, it's no use. I stuck here. I mean, unless you unless they're willing to, um, the I one forty petitioner is willing for you to file a new set of I four eight fives. Okay. In the EB two okay. category, because then there isn't the risk of well, what if EB three suddenly moves ahead? Then you have two parallel I four eight fives, one in each lane, whichever becomes current first. You can go with that. Okay. okay. Um, we'll okay. have to Thank end you. the conference here for today. Um, Thank you so much. Sure. Will be tomorrow afternoon at 3.30 Central Time. Thank you. Thanks, Gayatri. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day. Thank you.